She sold these years of her life to ensure we're left with coal instead of ash. Welcome to Things Just Got Spicy, the all-inclusive political poetry podcast on Allegheny College's campus. Every other week, we will discuss current and ongoing political, social, and economic issues. Each hot topic will be followed by a poem, written and performed by the week's special guest. My name is Binti Fofana, and I'm your host. This week's hot topic is the minimum wage. In 1938, the U.S. federal government established that workers are entitled to a minimum base hourly pay. Since then, there has been a debate about how much the minimum wage should be and if American citizens could survive off of that minimum wage. From a minimum wage of 25 cents an hour in 1938 to a minimum wage of 7.25 an hour in 2009, some argue that at glance it may seem as though that there's a huge increase, but the minimum wage fails to take into account other factors such as inflation. Inflation increases the prices of consumer goods, which in turn makes it more difficult for low-wage workers to make ends meet. While others say that increasing the minimum wage could harm the economy and small businesses. According to a 2013 Gallup poll, 60% of business owners say that raising the minimum wage could force them to lay off workers and close their stores, which in turn leads to an increase in the unemployment rate. And our special guest this week to discuss this hot topic with us is Destiny Perkins. Destiny is a 19-year-old writer and artist from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. She's a sophomore at Allegheny College majoring in international studies, and in the future, she hopes to pursue a career in public policy. Please give a warm welcome to Destiny Perkins. Destiny, before you perform your poem, please give us insight into the thought process that went into writing this poem. Sure. First of all, thank you for having me. Um, when I was writing this poem, I really wanted to talk about the tumultuous experience of growing up and in poverty, essentially, a slightly above the poverty line. Um, the story, this poem is really the story of how I grew up um, with a single mom who is not college educated, who really was doing her best to support um, two children, so a household of three. Um, And yeah, it's the pressure and the instability and the pain of poverty and just barely making it over the poverty line um, is indescribable. Um, But I hope that in in this poem, I can somewhat communicate um, what that feels like. Labor of Love. My mother rises every morning to meet a drowsy sun. She can count the jobs she has on two hands. Just look at where the days cut into her palms, left her calloused and bleeding. She rises though the sun tells her to rest. When the days are over, we find her rung across the couch, alarm clock pressed to her ear. When I try to guide her to bed, she insists she stay downstairs. Says she can't afford to sleep too deeply, or she might oversleep. I make her bed anyways. The soles of her feet look like wind-beaten desert stone. 
deep sediment lines where skin has been broken and thick calluses. She recoils at the gentlest touch, yet she paces the racks at Nordstrom, her latest temporary gig. Having long stopped complaining about the hard concrete on her aching feet, she clocks in with my sister who's just turned 15. She never wanted us to work so young, but she's giddy to have help. She sold these years of her life to ensure we're left with coal instead of ash. We add our tax returns to our shrine, choosing prayer to bridge the gap between the blood we sweat and our paychecks. We've taken up her habit of hovering inches above our beds, knowing that if we sleep too deeply, we'll flee. The one line about coal instead of ash was really powerful and intriguing to me because it shows the contrast and that coal can be used to, to make things, to make things that will be beneficial. And ash is just something that's left in the dust. Yeah, um, I think when I was writing that line, I was thinking about how when you are poor or anything less than... <laughs> upper middle class in this country I think not even death um, gives you freedom because we're thinking about um, the legacy that we're leaving behind and we have there's labor that comes after death and we're thinking about how we're leaving our loved ones to even afford to pay for our funerals and that simple like we can't even die in peace which is insane but I think that I really wanted to emphasize that at the heart of specifically growing up in like America, um, the heart of like the American dream is being able to build generational wealth and have something to leave for your children. Um, and when you're poor, you don't have, you barely have something to give to your children every day. Like, the gift that you give to your children is the gift of survival, essentially. Um, and what my mom is doing, even to this day, is allowing us to survive. And that's, like, the greatest gift that she can, like, really afford to give us. Like, we don't, we're not going to be able to be like, oh, you know, mom brought me a car. <laughs> or, oh, there's this house that we um ha has been passed down from generation to generation and we don't want to live in it but we're going to run it out there's like there's so little that we can afford to give each other and the like tenant of dying when you're poor is whether or not you're going to your children will be able to actually like work with um <laughs> work with something just work after death yeah right and just that thought of trying to get your family to survive and eventually thrive is a lot to, to carry and it brings up the question the pain that your mother is feeling in this poem and her need to survive and her need to make sure that her family is okay how is that affecting the work-to-life balance of those who are minimum wage workers um there's a line that I ended up removing um, because in truth, um, I think the structure for a lot of 
minimum wage um, workers, um, the defining structure is the absence. And when we hear absence, obviously, like the immediate connotation is, oh my gosh, it's a deadbeat. Oh my gosh, like somebody is neglectful. But I think that the greatest um, labor of love and the greatest like way that we show each other um, that we care whenever we're poor is truthfully in our absence because in our absence we're being forced to work we're going we're working two to three jobs and it's so interesting to me how even though I see so much less of my mother than I'm sure many other traditional families do, um, wealthier families do, um, there is a bond and a reassurance um, that has kind of grown in her absence. Like, I don't know, um, <laughs> I, I don't really know much about my mom and her person and her personality and her personal backstory because she simply is unable to be present. Like, um, I'm sure previous generations of mothers were, but you still know that she cares. Um, but at the same time, there's a dynamic of like strain and pain because I don't think that human relationships are meant to be filled in with that kind of reassure, self-reinsurance. So the brunt of our relationship is coming down to us having to reassure each other um, that that care is still there rather than us being able to enjoy each other's presence because quite simply we can't afford to um and it's painful because we see um a lot of what we see is exhaustion um and we don't really get to see each other enjoying happiness um, so when we're talking about like a work to life, bad, like balance, I mean, so much of your life becomes a work and what isn't the work is rest and <laughs> you're relying on people, the people around you to kind of understand and to know, listen, I'm not trying to be neglectful, but this is just reality of the situation that we're in and it's hurtful it's so hurtful um <laughs> if I had to I guess write a movie about um my relationship with my mom or like describe my mom as like a person I feel that like I would really struggle because we haven't had the time together to really bond and get to know each other and that's just yeah it sounds really um screwed up but I think that's just a reality of the time that we're living in to add on to that I think that the reality of the time we're living in is a lot of people have to work multiple jobs simply because they can't afford to live in the economy and it comes to that and it changes relationships and it hurts some relationships but what are you willing to do to survive 
yeah is the question that comes from that yeah i think it's interesting because i'll be totally transparent um growing up um my mom is like a single mom so it's always been just like her um and she had me when she was like 21 but um for the majority of my childhood we were living in like government assisted housing uh, um and the quality of like the housing was never great or good um coming from pittsburgh it's already like the neighborhoods are already pretty segregated it's pretty hard to find um government assisted housing um and and it's pretty hard to find government assisted housing that's like actually livable <laughs> um so we were um living on like public assistance for a while um and even still like my mom had to work like very hard and she had to work like long and hard <laughs> but I find myself kind of almost grateful for those years because she was able to afford a smidgen more time um she was able to afford to actually like be present in our lives a little bit more um we were able to go out or you know go to <laughs> go on like trip like a I don't know family trip or something for like two days but stuff that's like unimaginable now like I can't ask my mom to go can we go to dinner can we go to a movie can we do something on a weekend because every single day of her life is working she works every seven days a week um and when she's not working she wants to rest she doesn't really want to go outside and go you know out into the world because she's so tired and it's torturous (laughs) really um and I just it's very painful um to think that we have to make the decision between quality of life and the quality of our relationships and the quality I mean we have like a nicer house now but at the end of the day has our quality of life gone up I mean we're still like struggling um if something were to happen um say if some one of us got covid it would be devastating i mean if my and a lot of this web is also um four generations so um my great grandmother my great great grandmother are all very integral in trying to make this very delicate balance work. Um, Even though they don't live with us, we still support each other. Um, So if my great-great-grandmother were to die, um, which is very possible because she's getting very a lot older, we would see this this very delicate, very unstable balance just completely fall apart. Um, There's no such thing as independence anymore. Um, I feel like it was like a long-winded answer. No, like, absolutely yeah. <laughs> not. I think that even COVID being another factor into why the minimum wage should be increased is, if anything, COVID has taught us that 
this is just not something someone can live off of, nonetheless a family. And that actually segues into my next question. Do you think that increasing the minimum wage would improve the overall quality of life in the United States? Yes. Um, but here's the thing. We are asking for an increase of the minimum wage to $15 an hour. Um, and that was enough maybe four, five years ago. But at this point in time, for somebody to not only support themselves, but other people um, or family, I don't think it's enough. Um, and it's hard because I think we're essentially fighting for a fraction of what our labor is worth. Um, this is a country that has been an empire, really, that has been built on the, fundamentally built on the exploitation of labor. Um, hello, slavery. Um, and it was never intended to be a place where everybody had an equal opportunity to succeed, even though the American dream would tell you otherwise. I think fundamentally it was always intended to keep, build an empire off of the free or cheap labor of other people, lower people. And we have justified it, justified it um, through the philosophy of racism or cl now classism, where we genuinely believe that people are naturally supposed to be exploited or natural or the fact that people are being exploited is through some fault of their own or some natural inclination of their own. And I think that whenever we're talking about raising the minimum wage, we have to really consider, is it, <laughs> what labor do we value? I mean, we saw during COVID when everything had to be shut down, the people who are being paid the less, the least, were oh, like baseline, very essential for us to actually function as a society. Grocery store workers, rest food service workers, people who should have been home, <laughs> um, who were literally not being paid at all. Um, for like sick days or sick times and who cannot afford to take off, they're the ones who are literally binding the, the society together as we're going through a freaking pandemic, but they're not getting rewarded. They're not getting any sick pay or even like a raise. I mean, these are the people who are the most vulnerable, who we have unknowingly stated that are integral um, in the structure of our society, but we still continuously say, no, <laughs> you don't deserve to live. You don't deserve to live happily. You don't deserve to sustain yourself. And I think that's just very wild. Um, I think COVID also exposed, um, this is my controversial opinion, but it really exposed how literally um, this country and this government 
disregards the lives of the people who basically are not in the top 1%. I mean, it assumes that we, that the most important people, the people that have values, will be able to buy their way out of <laughs> a pandemic. They'll be able to sustain themselves. The people who are important will be able to sustain themselves and buy, you know, ventilators and buy the most, I don't know, high-tech um, ways of testing and vaccination and isolation and it just completely disregards the fact that so many people like middle class lower class people are dying um simply because it just does not care and I just think it's infuriating do you think that the minimum wage is the standard for minimum job skills um no. Um, so I think when we're talking about raising the minimum wage, we fundamentally have to question what kind of labor we value in our economies. Um, and the funniest thing is that the labor that is the most vital for our economy, our society to function um, is oftentimes the least paid. Um, farmers, for example, if every farmer were to go on strike tomorrow, our entire society would fall apart. And yet it's still legal to pay farmers something like $2 a day. Um, but the highest CEO in the world, Jeff Bezos, hello, is a billionaire. And I can honestly say that I would not necessarily care if Jeff Bezos were quite retired tomorrow. Um Stuff so, stuff like that, where we are very fundamentally undervaluing um, the labor that is the most important to us. Um, we have to question and call into question. We need to really understand um, the amount of labor that goes into the quote-unquote um menial entry entry level um physical labor jobs like the toll and the amount of labor that often comes from retail construction work um all of those type of jobs ironically they're like a lot harder work um your body feels the pressure feels the toll of walking around racks and <laughs> having to like talk to people and having to cook food and having to literally build buildings like your body feels the toll you're actually doing things and office jobs um not to first shade on office jobs I'm sure you guys are very important but oftentimes in office jobs we are doing very simple tasks only take us about maybe two hours to do, really, and stretching them out over eight hours. And it's actually ridiculous how we both are obsessed with the idea of looking like we're working hard, but undervalue the people who are actually working hard, who are actually having to put in effort for eight hours a day um and I think it's just very crazy 
um yeah <laughs> we uh, undervalue those jobs or we don't really think about those jobs at the end of the day is because we think that they don't take as much educational work or because that person didn't go to college or because the only thing they really needed to learn was the labor skills it didn't really use any brain power per se yeah um i think that logic i'm very familiar with um and i kind of get but there's two things that are part of that um one i think that we are fundamentally undervaluing the amount of effort labor um brain power um whatever you want to call it um that goes into actually performing these jobs and performing these duties and making sure that they're (laughs) performed properly um and i think that regardless um the fundamental question has to be regardless of what you're doing do you deserve does everybody deserve to sustain themselves and the answer is yes however you choose to sustain yourself should be honored it's labor at the end of the day you're contributing to something um you're producing something um and i don't necessarily like the um hierarchy of education um mainly because i noticed that like especially for me um when i was coming out of high school um the rhetoric for uh I, the rhetoric was um college is not for everyone and truth be told yeah the structure of western colleges is not was never meant to be for everyone it was never meant to be accessible for everyone um and just point blank period people a lot of people just don't want to study um but i don't think that should be an indicator or completely shape whether or not you're able to sustain yourself i think that as long as you're contributing to society you should be able to live and as long as you're heck as long as you're doing something with your life (laughs) um you should be able to live um and i think that the investment of college and the politics of who is able to go to college and why we go to college is another discussion for another day but I at the end of the day if you are doing labor you deserve to be paid fairly plain plain period <laughs> and on that note do you think that the federal government should increase the minimum wage and lay off more workers or keep the minimum wage the same in order to employ more workers I have a somewhat controversial opinion about that um (laughs) so i think last semester i was taking a economics class and one of the things that i was asking my economics professor was whether or not the data was actually taken into consideration in doing the math for how many people have to work multiple jobs and whether we are really calculating if <laughs> if the quality of the labor that we're getting would go up um, if people did not have to work two to three jobs in order to survive. 
and I was getting like a lot of mixed um, answers and they didn't really get like a true answer. Um, it was like beginning economics and I think the professor was like, yeah, Destiny, you know, focus. Um, but I really am interested to see um, because honestly, I don't think we've ever existed in a society where <laughs> everyone is fully able to sustain themselves and fully able to like make a decent living at whatever they choose to do. But I'm really interested to see how raising a minimum wage would increase the quality of labor that we do. Um, again, rethinking the amount of time that we are spent that we are spending in the workforce, I think could be really like indicative. I mean, working from home was a real, it sparked a lot of um, discussions around work culture, whether it's necessary to be in the office, whether we have to spend eight hours a day, just like basically filling up time or whether it's more productive to have two or three hours at a time where we're working and then we take a break and we do things um, that we want to do. And then we come back to work and then we do more productive things. Is it productive to be held hostage in a workspace? Um, so things like that, rethinking our work culture and rethinking how much of the labor that we're actually getting is even good labor, not even good labor, but productive labor. Um, and how much of it is really just people trying to <laughs> stretch themselves thin to make ends meet. I think the politics be and the answer becomes a lot grayer. Um, in a perfect world, and this is my controversial part, <laughs> in a perfect world, I envision that the jobs that I honestly deem as brutal and horrible on a human body, like construction and manufacturing where you're breathing in like toxic chemicals and you're putting yourself through like a lot of um physical torment <laughs> um and it's really hard and you're putting your body at risk essentially um I think that the technology of the time that we're in in the year 2021 um is very capable of doing those jobs for us and instead, I think that, like, human people should be doing human things. I mean, I think that we should be fostering a society that's able to encourage people to do stuff that only human beings can do, like social work or art or <laughs> those kind of things, like stuff that's actually important and not the stuff that's, like, you're putting your body at risk to produce what <laughs> um, and not really seeing the products and there's like a lot more that goes into it but I think that in a perfect world I think that we have the resources to be able to have everybody living happily and creating and just thriving but we're just choosing not to <laughs> um, yeah um, that's my unpopular opinion but <laughs> Um, that's not my political science or, uh, political analyst's opinion. That's why I'm a naive 19 year old who really wants to just create art and thrive. <laughs> <laughs> Only if you lived in a perfect world. Yes. <laughs> 
Do you think the minimum wage is an ethical and moral issue or an economic issue or even perhaps both? I think it's both. Um, again, I think that we need to fundamentally question and rethink how we structure our economy. Um, and I really think that ethically and morally, we also need to do some rethinking. I think we need to rethink our attitude towards poor people. I mean, our attitude towards poor people um, thus far has been, oh, if you're poor, you know, it's a fault of your own. You know, you did not go to college. You did not, you know, get a better job. <laughs> um, and I think that now that the price of like living, the cost of living is becoming, is, has risen up so much that so many people are simply struggling to conceive a world where they're not in debt or they're not struggling. Um, it's becoming more and more apparent that, wait, holy cow, if you're poor, it's not a fault of your own. You're not, it's not because you didn't work hard enough. Um, perhaps it's just a structural thing. Um, and even if you are like poor because quote unquote, you didn't take the right steps in life, um, do you deserve to just like suffer? <laughs> um, and I think that we need to do some moral and ethical rethinking. If we as a country have the resources to support our poor and support people, why wouldn't we? Why, why would we not? I mean, it doesn't, we have all this money for wars, we have all the money for military and stuff that really does not really affect our quality of life all that much other than feeding into a greater political system, um, which I will not get into right now. Um, but we don't really have the resources and we're fighting at, at the local and federal level to get the bare minimum of resources that we need to just like actually survive. And I think that that's very wild and we really need to question why that is and if it's worth it. And is it possible to even work our way out of these catacisms? Um, yeah, so short answer. Yes. Whoa, things just got spicy. <laughs> and that's all for this week's episode. I hope we've encouraged you to think deeper and to look into other perspectives. Thank you for tuning in. Be sure to follow us at TJG Spicy. And if you would like to be a special guest on an upcoming episode, please feel free to email us at tjgspicy at gmail.com. And that's a wrap. Stay curious and see you in two weeks.